67th episode of Everyday Journal. With me tonight, you already guessed it, is Mr. Eric, as he calls himself in chat, and Mr. B, Bob Wang. Hey guys, how is it going? How did you come to, to choose your interesting nicknames? Well, it asked you to put in a name, so I just thought I'd get creative. <laughs> and after, like, how many years uh, you grew tired of Eric, so you're trying Eric? I, I don't think that's how they spell it in France, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Uh, I was leaning more towards towards Spanish, but I think that will also like look different. He's spelling it like Hugh and you. <laughs> but yeah, guys, um, what have you been up to, um, Bob? I know you've been away for a couple of weeks. I thought you would be away for like a month or two, but then you reminded me that, like, hey, dude, I'm American. I don't get to like take four weeks off or something. <laughs> Wait, what? Do you get to take four week vacations in Germany? If you want to, sure. <laughs> well, uh, how how many vacation days do you have a year? How does it work? Like by by law, you you have to have six weeks per year. Um, oh my god! Yeah, that's basically how. Yeah, but on top of that, you also get like all. I think we have like up to thirteen public holidays. So basically, you all get right. something. I'm like, moving to Germany. Basically, you get something like over forty vacation paid. Of course, like it's so weird when Americans tell me, "Hey, I, I have, I'm on vacation, but it's not paid." Like then you're not on vacation, then you're temporarily unemployed or something. <laughs> 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 I guess that counts. But yeah, you, you went to Japan, right? Have you have you been there before? Was it the first time? No, it was my first time. I, I thought about going to a GP earlier, but I didn't quite pull the trigger because I knew I wouldn't have enough time. So this time I did go. I went for almost two weeks, which I thought was a good amount. Obviously, I would have preferred a little bit more, but I had an amazing time. Uh, like just Japanese culture, Japanese food, everything about it I loved, and I, I'm sure I'll be back at some point. So which places did you get to visit? Because I'm asking because I really, really want to go in the future as well. My best friend wants to go as well, so maybe we're going together. So where did you start? So I was in Tokyo for about four or five days. I was there for the typhoon, and there was also an <laughs> earthquake along with the typhoon that really freaked my mom out. It was like, oh yeah, so we know there's a typhoon, so you have to basically buy a bunch of ramen and stay indoors. We were like, okay, that kind of sucks that we lose a whole day to um, our vacation. So we hole up in the Airbnb, just watch movies all day. And it turns out the typhoon doesn't even start until it's like seven o'clock at night. So we're like, well, that kind of wasted a day. But then like right as the typhoon started getting started, there was a huge earth or not a huge earthquake, but there was a noticeable earthquake. And my dad, he's like been through a couple earthquakes before. He's like, yeah, that was the biggest earthquake I've been through. And it was, um, I think it was like 5.7, something like that. So you could like feel the building shake. And then like we were worried there'd be like a tsunami in addition to the typhoon. But uh, thankfully, everybody ended up okay. We were just all freaked out when we were like, holy crap, the building's moving. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like like in a Super Nintendo RPG, like the hero moves to town and the first thing that happens, there's a typhoon. And not only that, there's also an earthquake. And then the next day, the, the big dragon attacks the town and, and you have to defend it. Just the day that you arrive in town <laughs> yeah it was it was a lot did you enjoy tokyo i guess you also moved to to the countryside later on or visit i guess a couple of other towns yeah so we did tokyo and kyoto and while we were in kyoto we did some day trips uh one day trip to osaka so those were kind of the three big cities that i was in and is kyoto as beautiful as advertised You know how, how the, yeah. the legend is that it was saved in World War II because your Secretary of State at the time had actually had his honeymoon there and he didn't want it to, to, to be destroyed? That is an interesting story. I will have to try and read it, uh, read about it to see if I can corroborate it. But yeah, Kyoto was amazing. Um, that's why we chose to spend the bulk of our time there. Uh, we did a bunch of fun like sightseeing things for temples. There was a park where you could like 
feed and pet the deer. So that was really cool. That's Nara Park. Um, so I love that. Well, what you would do is you would buy cookies and then you would bow to the deer and they would bow back and then you would feed them <laughs> cookies. It was, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, all the food in Japan was great. I just, I highly recommend that you go. And if you go spend more time in Kyoto than Tokyo, unless you really like cities, then Tokyo is the best. But um, I enjoyed Kyoto a little more. Okay, that, that's pretty cool. And, and you mentioned you also got to, well, maybe not play Magic, but visit a couple of stores. Yeah, I went to like the big magic store. I didn't get a chance to go to Haruya since they were a little bit outside of the city. Um, but I kind of, you know, walked around and saw some people, saw some Japanese foils, which are, I guess, their normal foils. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't actually end up buying anything. Although I did hear that uh, if you bring near mint dual lands to Japan, you can get them for like 1.5 times the price you can get them from the US, but they have to be near mint. If they're played, then it's like slightly lower than the US. So I thought that was super interesting. And I talked to some Japanese people about it and they're like, yeah, it's because there's a lot of collectors in Japan. So I thought that was interesting. Obviously, good information, good to know. So uh, uh, do you own any near mint or mint dual lands? I guess they're pretty rare these days. I definitely have some that I would say are, are in very good shape. Uh, I don't know how high the Japanese standards are, though. <laughs> okay, cool. So definitely got to check that out. And Eric, what have you been up to? I saw some activity on your on your Twitter about your primer that you put out there. Because oh, t you, maybe you tell us about uh, it. Yeah, I did. I put out a, <clears throat> a primer. It's like 15 pages long. Uh, the reason I did it was I made a video, recent, a video recently where I played... It was a donation deck. I played Reanimator, and I used that as an opportunity to kind of go over the deck and answer as many questions uh as i could off the top of my head that i get asked a lot but i still missed a bunch uh there's a lot of things people ask me and i just thought it was a good idea to try and put it all in one place because uh, you know you end up answering the same question over and over again and like i said in the video i just missed i just forgot about quite a few things um because i was doing it on the fly so yeah i wrote up a primer tried to cover everything I'm sure I still miss stuff, so it's on my Patreon for free. You can just go there and click on the link, and you can read it. And if you have any questions, uh, I will add things that I missed at the bottom in in the FAQ section. Um, yeah, so I, I did that this this week. Awesome. That so that should be everybody's starting point if they want to play Black Red Reanimator, I guess. And if they want more like videos and other stuff that you put out there, I think you people can become a Patreon on uh, was it Patreon.com slash EWLanton? Yep. I do videos for all my awesome. tiers, so as little as a dollar, you can see you know all my monthly videos and uh, and stuff about the metagame and things like that. And also get access to the private Instagram feed where Eric posts about his dark side. No. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, you, we're also going to Bologna yeah. together, right? And uh, I am. are you looking forward to that? I mean, I hope I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> so no, like truly, I don't see I, I get to go on a trip to Italy to play Magic for two weeks. It's going to be great, right? Uh, you're also going to play that other event, that Four Seasons yeah, event, I think. Yeah, I'm going a week early, so I'm going to play the Four Seasons. And I guess there's a bunch of other little events uh, in the week leading up to the to the GP. So I'll get to go to a bunch of legacy events, hopefully win all of them and pay for my trip that way. Otherwise, uh, I will also be streaming for my Airbnb and and uh, yeah, so it's going to be fun. Does the Airbnb have good enough internet? Oh my God, that's going to be cool. 
That's going to be really cool. <laughs> it, yeah, they emailed the person and said, I need internet. And they said they have internet. Well, you know, there's internet and there's Italian internet. But actually, honestly, like last times I've been to Italy, that has actually been pretty good. So I'm not going to say that's going to be bad. I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope it's good or I'm getting my flight home early. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dude, I, I have to stream. I got to leave now. Uh, Bob, you're not coming? I need my internet. You're going to Eternal Weekend, are you? No, I, I've never been a fan of Eternal Weekend, so I skipped it last year, and I'm planning on skipping it this year as well. I hear you guys talk about all these tournaments, and I'm super jealous. So I think today I just made plans to go to a modern GP, but I, I don't really see myself going to many... Yeah, I, I just don't see myself going to many um, tournaments for the next six months, really. I, I only have maybe one in the plan, so sad face. Mm. You, you should have come to Beijing with me. I'm actually flying on Tuesday. I would have loved to, but A, I'm out of vacation, and B, uh, I'm not going to fly to Asia twice in one year. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that's only one, re one way to do it. you you got to quit your job. <laughs> working no? <Okay>. on that. <laughs> you can always, you can always, you're working on that. Uh-oh. Uh -oh, okay. You know, they might listen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually have thought about that if if like any of my coworkers, because some of them know i play magic but i don't know if anybody of any of them like you know follow me on twitter or know about this podcast but i mean it's public so they they, they theoretically could find it imagine your boss calling into the office and saying bob we heard on your podcast that you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> we want to offer you a race to entice you to stay at the company <laughs> All right, well, if that's the case, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So um, what's been up for me? Uh, I've been I've been working on safaris nonstop. It's like 2019 has been crazy. 2018 was already pretty, pretty busy. But people keep coming to Kenya. It's, it's wild. Um, without talking too much about, about our company, but this year has been the best ever. Like, I've been there for six years, and this is by far the best ever, and it, it's all, it only keeps getting better. But that also means that I'm staying at work, like, until 8 p.m. for most of the time these days, and then coming home and jumping straight into LPL. But I like it, I like it a lot, but I'm also really looking forward to having the next two, day, uh, two days, uh, two weeks off to go to China for Beijing All Off, which is going to be amazing. Shout out to that. The... It's not going to be live streamed, but we're going to have live recordings and I'm going to put them on YouTube and then we can commentate over that. I think Anurag does that a lot. Uh, maybe I'll find the time to do that with them together or something. So there's definitely going to be video coverage of that event. And I think it's going to be really, really great because the payouts, uh, Eric, you've been there before, the payout is out of this world. They pay out 1.5 times what they take in as a tournament organizer, which is something you don't really see happening. I think the winner takes something like 2 or 3k so that's that's pretty wild. So yeah, definitely looking forward to that. And maybe maybe I can convince not only more of you guys, but also more of our listeners to come for the next installment next year, either in right winter, which is always going to be in Beijing, or in summer, which is sometimes in Guangzhou, or actually I don't know. I, I think there was the Shanghai in the past. So those are going to be the events that are going to be there. So if you ever want to find out about that, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I noticed one person from Germany actually picked it up when I posted it and they are actually coming. So I'm really looking forward to, to basically have all the international representation we can get because a lot of people in China they don't, don't actually get to play outside of China. So the well, countries say legacy is coming to them because they have a thriving legacy community, but the international legacy community is coming to them. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. In speaking of the international legacy community, hey, the group stage of the Legacy Premier League has finished. And, well, 
almost all of us made it into the runner bracket. <laughs> um, guys, let, let's start with Eric. Eric, you played in Group C against the reigning world champion Javier Dominguez. Uh, just like his name so much. I'm probably mispronouncing it really hard. Uh, Edgar Magalesh and Brian Gottlieb of the Arena Deckless podcast. And Eric, you, I want to say, I called it out metagamed everyone. Reddit was pretty critical of that. And they said, no, he didn't. But you made a very Reddit daring like call. Well, Reddit doesn't like a yeah. lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I will say I saw the Reddit post and I think they were right. Uh, when I was picking this deck, I basically had two of my opponents. You should mention what you're playing first. Oh, I picked Burn. I played Burn. Okay, so basically two of the three of my opponents were face up. Like I knew at a very high percentage that Edgar was going to be playing four color control and a very very high percentage that javier would be playing rug delver and brian got gotlib i i've never played against and uh, it was completely unknown for me but i figured since uh just assumptions i made about him made me think he probably plays a blue deck too and when i made the choice i just said well i sure hope that brian doesn't play uh an eldrazi deck because I'm cutting a bunch of the cards that I think are only good against Eldrazi, and let's just hope he doesn't play that. <laughs> and that's what he played. So I think Reddit was on the on the nose with that one. But luckily, I just didn't have to face him. I only had to face Edgar twice and Javier once. Um, I also knew going in that Rug Delver isn't a slam dunk. Tarmogoyfs can beat you, uh, so it will be difficult. But I thought it gave me the best chance of beating the the field. Yeah, makes sense. And I, I guess you the the two wins that you needed to advance, you you got them both from Edgar because Javier, you almost won the winners final. Or actually, you you didn't come that close. I think didn't you like lose two hours or something? Anyway, um, so you almost managed to beat Javier. Yeah, I lost two zero, but they both felt a little bit tight. Yeah, Javier beat me two zero. Yeah, that that incredible lightning bolt top deck that gave us the the, the Chavez U freak out. Where I was like, oh my god, that was like to me that was one of the most hype moments, even though it must have felt yeah. bad from the other side of the table. Well, I did. I figured he had it <laughs> when when he made that spell pierce play. I figured he had the bolt. Like I figured I was dead when he played spell pierce because otherwise I don't think he plays spell pierce. Yeah, he, there. He, but he drew it. I saw the vod <laughs> later and he drew it. I was like, God damn it! Everyone also didn't watch keep. <laughs> and game one was also just as unfortunate for <laughs> me. Everyone also didn't see it. And have you played uh, spell pierce on a lightning bolt when when Eric had like two mana to pay for it, and he basically or three mana to pay for it. Yeah, and the way he did that uh, was so that Eric couldn't cast Exquisite Firecraft, which is uncounterable on the same turn. So even though he gave up a card in the spell pierce, he tied down Eric's mana for a turn, which allowed him to actually untap and find a lethal lightning bolt from the top, which is basically the, the famous lightning helix play, but that's the legacy version of it, pretty much. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I only had one card in my hand, and it did happen to be that uncounterable four damage, so... It was a very good play. Pretty unfortunate top deck for me. Game one was also kind of unfortunate because I started with a one lander and ended up with like seven. I drew like, I don't think I drew any spells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you consider running something like Barbarian Ring or did you feel like the, the life loss was too much? Or is it actually about being wastelanded? I, I mean, to be honest, like I haven't played the deck that much. Um, and the 20 mountain uh, four uncounterable spells seemed very clean the only changes i made were price of progress because uh, i knew that that edgar plays a lot of basics and this card 
not only is the most one of the most difficult cards to cast because it's the easiest to counter, it also is the easiest card to make dead and play around with either Dazes and Wastelands for Delver and Basics for other decks. So I, I shaved on two of those. I wanted to leave the fear of them in <laughs> Edgar so he would only fetch up Basics. I think it worked pretty well. Yeah, yeah, that, that worked definitely pretty well. And... Bob, we actually, we were put in the same group. Originally, uh, I was going to be in Eric's group, but Javier had something coming up where, where basically Wizards switched some LPL schedule on short notice and he had to play on a different date. So I jumped into your group and you ended up playing your tried and true Hogak Tamagolf deck, I want to say. Uh, we call it medium rare depth because you made the, the change of cutting two Mox Diamonds for two Ever Spirit Guides, which we think was to make your, um, not dig through time, so that would be crazy, your, what's it called? Once Upon a Time? <laughs> once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time's better. Was that the main reason why you did that? <laughs> you also said something about Hogak. <laughs> about Hogak? Well, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't play Hogak in my deck. I. It was funny because I was. I was. I when the league was set, I was with Javier, Autumn, and Phil, and I had decided to play Hogak because I thought that Phil would likely play like humans, and the other two would play Rugdelver, and then I'd be set. But then I asked you to borrow the cards, so you got them for me. But then you switched into my group, and I was like, oh, do I really want to play against the group? Um, where Julian's in it now, like I, I thought you might play elves because I thought it's like decently positioned again, and like if you play elves, that's already not a good matchup, and you could just play ley lines, and it'd be like really hard for me to win. So ultimately, I decided not to play Hogak, but honestly, I just ran out of time. Uh, I was in, you know, I've been in Japan. I haven't tested at all, so I basically just fired up the list that I had been testing, and honestly, I hadn't even tested it. I, I had only played two leagues with Once Upon a Time. I, I went three two on stream, and then. The day before LPL, I was like, okay, all right, let's play one league and see if this Once Upon a Time card is real or not. Went 5-0. So I was like, okay, I guess I have to play this deck. And then I was like, well, I think people are going to play Delver. And I think Elvish Spirit Guide makes it like really hard to play against from the Delver side against Depths because you never know when they can like Elvish Spirit Guide crop rotation or like they might do the math wrong on your Elvish uh, Reclaimer, or you might be able to Thespian stage a turn earlier. So I, th- I thought it was like an interesting choice, and obviously yeah, it is better with Once Upon a Time than Mox Diamond is. Um, in general, I've just been dissatisfied with the card Mox Diamond, because it's usually just card disadvantage. And then especially if I'm not playing Dark Confidant, it's even worse. So, uh, ultimately I submitted the list. I definitely would play something else. I knew people were going to put me on depth, so that's why I was reluctant to play the deck. But I just ran out of time to test so I just submitted it. Is that, is that insider information? Because I knew that you were pretty busy and didn't really get to play a lot. So I figured you were like very likely to either play depth. I actually like I didn't even think about Hogak. Like that was like very far back on the back of my head. I, but I borrowed the cards, yeah, so I figured you, you would have put me on like it. You only like six cards or something. I, I figured you you just wanted to randomly test it. I, I didn't think about it like in terms of. I actually was wondering. Okay, Bob is just using this opportunity to basically get a free loan account. <laughs> 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 but yeah um I, I, I like right before the tournament before i submitted i i had a list where i ended up cutting all my graveyard hate because i, I figured like autumn and phil are not gonna play graveyard decks and you probably wouldn't because like in my head you were either dark depth because you didn't have time or you would play sneak show because that's also a deck that you've played at times and mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> that that's what i what i put you on and f- judging from the way autumn played they actually played two crop rotation in the sideboard so i figured we were all very hard putting you on depth, <laughs> including Phil, who played basically seven copies of Pithing Needle. So if this wasn't a group of death, then I don't know. 
we, we were talking about how, how you were really wanting to to face Phil, but you basically you played me and you played Autumn twice. Um, would have been an interesting match. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea what that matchup would be like. Obviously, I've never played it. Um, Post board, I would just bring in the Tarmogoyfs and Lilianas and just try to jund them out. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe the match was bad for me, but. You know, it's hard to say because I, I didn't get to test it. Phil also said he didn't play a single match with the deck. He just goldfished it. And I think, like, I don't know. I, I wish I had more time to test. I think, like, yeah, you can theory craft and goldfish, but ultimately the best plan is always to, to test. But like I said, I, I just, you know, it's it's tough because I'm, I'm very passionate about magic and I enjoy it a lot. But, uh, you know, I've just gotten busier and busier, like, uh, with work. I have a girlfriend now and we go on a lot of trips together and she's always trying to get me to play less magic. So I don't know. It's, it's been a struggle to get as much testing as I, as I used to be able to. So what I'm hearing here is you're going to register burn for the, for the playoff stage. <laughs> um, I'm against Caleb. So, uh, we'll see what happens, which by the way, so the first few stages of the elimination are going to be uh one single deck but then later becomes three deck is that yeah, right exactly so i think the first two or three depending on whether you're in a winner or loser bracket or because it call it the lower bracket <laughs> um are gonna be best of one deck best of three and le later on we do the thing where everybody player brings three decks and you have to defeat all of your opponent's decks in order to advance which basically favors people who've got a wider range or play dredge like Travis in the finals <laughs> last year <laughs> um yeah you mentioned you're, you're gonna be up against caleb right um caleb is probably one of the hardest to kick uh, i i guess he's got a tendency to play stompy decks is that something that he's been playing like bomberman and urza for the past couple years i mean obviously he plays every deck um but in legacy i've is he seems to have favored those decks but that being said you know he he'll probably just play something that he feels like is uh, a fun deck that is well positioned against what he expects me to play so watch him show up with survival of the fittest and everybody's like yeah sure you get to play with it it's fine like what <laughs> <laughs> eric you put you put a hay on your avatar i don't know if you wanted to say something <laughs> I, yeah i'd like to make a note about testing for this for this format is actually quite difficult for a few reasons because you're sort of metagaming uh but it's unknown and so if you're just joining leagues, the testing could be pretty much useless because you might play a bunch of leagues and not face any of the decks or only once or something like that that you're actually wanting to test against. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you also don't want to like ask a bunch of people to test with you online because then your opponent might find out what you're playing. Yeah. So I found testing to be really difficult. Like I, I was specifically trying to test against Edgar's deck because I knew that like without a bunch of basics, when I play four color control, I struggle against burn. But I wasn't so sure about with the basics. So I joined a... I only played two leagues and I 3-2'd both of them. I played no four-color control. But I beat Black Red Reanimator and I beat Storm twice. So I was like, okay, so even if I'm completely off base, like, this deck can't be that bad. <laughs> I think Burn especially has, like, a certain lower floor that will never get beyond. Like, it's basically a deck that punishes bad draws. It's it's a deck that usually punishes greedy, greedy control decks unless they play counterbalance. It's... It's one of the most solid decks, basically, to me. So, And it just top-aided a GP, and that's 15 rounds, right? 
or maybe 14, depending on how large it was. But yeah, so <laughs> are, you, are you gonna run it back? You are facing off. Let me check. You're facing off against Travis, the the reigning champion right now. No, no, no. Brian's the reigning champion, right? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> I'm so sorry. In my head, Char like Char Every time I lost, like in the last two seasons, I always lost to Charvis. In my head, Charvis is like the overlord, the overmind that nobody can get past. But actually, Brian won. Yeah, Brian won the finals with Dredge against Charvis last year. I'm so sorry. So yeah, so the the reigning runner-up, <laughs> Charvis. In... And he won the year before, so he's he's been dominating. Definitely. He and Caleb are probably the most successful guys. I think Caleb has been in the finals and won it once or something. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. See, oh god, our league has been going on for so long that I don't remember every single match by now. Like up until up until <laughs> like half a year ago, I I think I I remembered everything, but now it's getting so big it even has its own Wikipedia entry. <clears throat> but yeah, Eric, how, how do you feel about your match against Travis? Well, last time I played Travis was in a PTQ, I think we were both at five and zero, oh, and I beat him with Infect. But he's also beat me a ton of times in leagues, so I, I don't. And he's he's a wild card. I don't really know what to expect him to play. I expect him to definitely play a good deck. Um, I don't think he's going to metagame too hard against me, other than he's probably going to make sure he's at least prepared for Reanimator. <laughs> Strike um, the fear in him. But yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to play. I'm going to try some different stuff. I'm going to see what I think's good. I, I'm I'm not sure yet what I'm going to play. I, I'm almost certainly not playing Burn. <laughs> I, I don't think Burn's <laughs> actually very good. I, I just played it. Because my pod, my pod is was extremely difficult, and like I said, I knew what two of my opponents were playing, and I feel like Burn is probably the easiest deck to play. That's uh, quote unquote like good against blue decks. So I just thought it would give me the best edge, but I probably won't play it again. I don't think it's a very good deck. <laughs> we will see, we will see. And I'm against uh, up against Vincent, uh, also known as Pleasant Kenobi, and I literally have no idea what he's gonna play. He he told me that he he was leaning towards registering something like Moonstompy. Uh, which would be kind of scary if I continue playing MBC Rock Diver, which I enjoyed quite a lot. I'm also going to play it in Beijing, I think. Um, yeah, for those wondering, last year Winston registered Red Stumpy, at least in the group phase. And then the playoffs, I actually don't remember. It might have been Death in Texas. So that's going to be interesting as well. And Do you get to change your deck every round? Yes, you do. Okay. And something that we are going to do, um, that's going to be super amazing, is we're going to have a bracket challenge on Liquipedia. The information about that is going to be on its Julian at the moment when you're hearing this cast. It's already going to be up. So you can head there. And there's going to be a link that allows you to submit your own bracket. So you can predict who's going to win each of the matches. And we got amazing prizes. So there's there's a tiny chance, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it's not very high, that you predict all 22 of the playoff matches correctly, which is like... 0.5 to the power of 22 which uh I, I had Travis do the math as like one and over four million uh so if you get that correct you can win 2000 ticks bot credit by card order you can literally buy four okos if you want to if you win that <laughs> did you guys see that at the cards like a hundred dollars now like just like Renin six it's crazy right it, it's everywhere I went to Standard on MTG Goldfish, and, and they have the pictures of the most played decks, and there's literally just four pictures of Oko for the first four decks. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, the card is ridiculous. It's absurd. It like J Jonathan Zucana commentated with me last night, and I was like, you know, I haven't really seen the card in action that much in Legacy, but what I have seen has been really impressive. He's like, yeah, it's just a better true name nemesis. And I was like, whoa, you just blew my mind right there. 
because it basically, you know, applies pressure in the same way as Tree Name Nemesis. It's really hard to kill. Obviously, it is vulnerable to Red Blast and Abrupt Decay, but it just, like, it's way more annoying, and it's, like, a Tree Name Nemesis that, like, answers annoying things. So it's just an incredibly powerful card. Yeah, it's one of the cards that we actually pretty much overlooked. I'd like to say two things about that card. So so hit, hit us with the first thing, Eric. Wait, yeah, wait a minute. Back to that. When we did the preview, I said, let's talk about Oko. I think that card does a lot more than I thought it did at first. And and Bob said, let's move on to playable cards. And I said, okay. And then said we talked about, I don't know. Some, you don't remember I, that? I do remember that. <laughs> I, I think my record on the preview shows has not been great. Um, I, mean, I had a couple hits, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely missed Oko. So if you ever hear Bob talk bad about a card, you know it's the one to buy. For, for those who weren't around at the time, when Alpha was released, and we were previewing the cards of Alpha, and we got to Black Lotus, Bob was like, yeah, you know, let, let's just get to the playable artifacts, and we moved on to, to what was it, Giant Growth? Uh, Yikes. Healing Solve. Yeah, that's the one you liked a lot. <laughs> oh, no. Bob, you, you mentioned how, how Jonathan Sekunik actually blew your mind when he said it's basically like a better version of True Name Nemesis. And Jonathan, I think, to a certain degree, like, he's the, I can't even say the most underrated guy in Legacy, because that wouldn't be true. It's just he doesn't put himself out there as much as other people do. And considering like how, how deep his knowledge of, of the game everything is, it's it's really blowing my mind. I'm so happy every time we have him on, on uh, Legacy Premier League, uh, because he's a master of the format. And he's like one of those silent masters of you. If, if Legacy was a movie and you wanted to to learn more about it, he, he would be the guy sitting on, on top of that mountain where you have to, to to walk to and to climb for like three weeks in order to find out which basic lands you're supposed to play. And and he would know it all and he would blow your mind. But yeah, he, he he's got a pretty good way about explaining what makes Oka so good because the, the card it's really hard to evaluate, right? Like, none of its modes are really all that great when you think about it, but, like, the, the card economy of it, uh, in a way, like, not in terms of card advantage, but in terms of efficiency, is just there, which is kind of cool. Um, it's, I don't know, in a way, it's like a, like what Council's Judgment did for Miracles. Council's Judgment by itself, it's like a three-mana remover spell. It's not that great, but it was just so incredibly versatile, and so is Oko. And... A lot of times you don't care too much about the egg, and it also fixes a couple of holes that decks that play Oko usually have. Like you get to deal with Chalice of the Void, and if you can survive it for a turn, uh, also Marit Large, or if you if you get them to to make it on on your turn or sorcery speed, or, uh, yeah, rather on sorcery speed. So it's just it's just this good card. I like it like as a one or a two of. I, I don't think Legacy decks can really lean on it and rely on it because by itself it doesn't really produce card advantage. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a fan of the card, but I wouldn't really play more than one of two. I don't know. Do you, do you guys see the card being playable in something like, I don't know, Banshell or anything else? I think it definitely has a lot of potential. I think Eric was trying to get at that he likes it more in control decks than Delver decks. Like, it plays really well with Astrolabe. Uh, in Modern, I think a lot of people are starting to play Oka with Urza decks. So I think maybe that's a, a way to build Urza decks in Legacy, which... In Legacy, they really haven't been successful because they've been using the Stompy Shells. But honestly, the Stompy Shell is just, you know, not that great right now because of Renin 6, Wasteland, Tarmogoyf, all those things. So, I don't know. I would be kind of interested. Um, I guess Tarmogoyf is one of the major constraints on the format right now, which feels crazy to say because it was, it was just so, it was so bad for so long. But now it's good again. And then, like, Tarmogoyf is basically your answer to all these 
um, really good Planeswalkers people have printed. So I don't know. I think that the card Oko is strong. I like it because it's it's not only an answer, but it's also a threat. So, I mean, I think we're definitely going to be see it, seeing it in uh, the years to come. Have you ever seen somebody ultimate Oko? I, I don't even dare to call it an ultimate. <laughs> it doesn't really feel like the strongest thing, but have you seen that? Um, I haven't, but it just it just does, does so many things. Like you could like you know it actually against Delver for instance, um, or against Depths. Like usually you want to main phase the Marilage to play around Wasteland, but then you could play into an Oko. So and and in worst case scenario, they could even steal your Marilage. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's definitely a, a scary card. I think. Eric wanted to make a good point before his internet connection temporarily cut it, cut out here. Uh, it's also the super high loyalty, right, that allows it to to become such a player in the format right now. I think it wouldn't really be playable if it had fewer loyalty or didn't have the uh, plus two uptick for the food. Oh, this food is so sweet. <laughs> And yeah, so it's going to be around. But something that I want to get to as well that Bob already mentioned is that Tarmogoyf has come back and Tarmogoyf has come back big. We talked a little bit about this with a couple of people, and I think the consensus right now seems to be that nobody really plays Tundra decks right now, because traditionally the, the Tarmogov decks have been somewhat weak to the concept of Salt Supplowshares, Snapcaster, Salt Supplowshares, which basically gives you a lot of wiggle room and a lot of time and, and relieves a lot of pressure. And that's not really happening anymore. So people are playing all these these Lightning Bolt decks, which is pretty popular, or even Abrupt Decay, which... which Mana-wise, trades on equal level against Tarmogoyf. So, I don't know. Um, is, is Tundra going to make a comeback? Because initially, like people well, were talking about how, how Mercus wasn't really played anymore because of the card advantage that Renin 6 provides. But now everybody, especially now after we've cut True Name Nemesis and a lot of people are playing Hooting Mandrels, in the, I want to say, NBC Rock Delver community, people are really almost scared and i can definitely feel that scare that a viable tundra deck is gonna come back and stop us because right now the deck feels really good i think tundra has always had the tools to beat rug delver um i i think the matchup's always been close i think like basically rug delver just has better cards but if tundra tries to beat it it can like i think teferi time raveler is really good against timergoyf And obviously, Jace is insane against Timergoyf. So, like, both of those cards um, match up really, really well against Timergoyf. Um, however, I mean, obviously, these are kind of three mana spells. And post-board, you're going to be fighting against Daze, Red Blast, Bell Pierce. So, I don't know. I think there are, are the tools for Tundra decks to beat Wreck Delver. People were hyping about Miracles for a little bit when they printed Mystic Sanctuary. And I guess it really hasn't been that good because like the hype went up and then it immediately like kind of died out. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but Rug Delver has just like really impressed me in terms of the results it put up. Um, we saw one trend that started happening was, oh, people started picking up um, Dredge and Hogak to fight Rug Delver because I think they were naturally favored. But then Rug Delver simply began cutting surgical extractions and playing Grafdigger's Cages so that those two matchups became a lot closer again. So I, I just think Rug Delver's, you know, it's a Delver deck. There's no good way to attack it. Um, it's very efficient. You know, you play a card like Rest in Peace and then they can even pivot and side out Tarmogoyfs. Like, it's just very hard to attack and it has generically good cards and can sideboard to beat 
almost any deck in the format. So I think that's why uh, Rug Delver is kind of the best deck. And I think I definitely have underrated it. And I probably need to revisit playing it again if I'm going to, um, you know, play Legacy seriously in the coming months. Yeah, that that what you mentioned that people were t- uh, picking up graveyard decks like Dredge. That's actually what happened in Group A in the Legacy Premier League, right? We we had Charvis and Emma both on Dredge because everybody was was marking Andrea down as. Well, he actually ended up playing four color Delver, but basically as a Delver guy, and then also having enough sideboard cards to to go up against Cyrus with his A and T Storm deck. And at least for Travis, that worked out pretty well. Um, maybe, you know, maybe we're going to see more of that. Because uh, when I made the show notes, I noticed that in the top six decks on MTG Goldfish right now for Legacy, three of them are graveyard decks. There's Dredge, there's Black Red Reanimator, and there's Hogak. And Bob, you mentioned how how MBC Rock Diver has adapted to that by playing more Graft Diggers cages. Can you explain... Uh, why a blue deck would prefer to play something like Graft Digger's Cage against a Graveyard deck as opposed to a Surgical Extraction. Because I, I also made that switch, mostly, and it felt a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I think against Dread, for instance, like, Surgical can be good and slow them down. It's one of your better cards. But Cage just completely locks them out of the game and they have to answer it. And so I think it's just much better against Dredge. Um, same as against Black Red Reanimator. Um, obviously, you want to be able to survive... Uh, but with you know force of negation, usually you're able to survive until your first turn, and then there, Raptor's Cage is also much closer to lights out. Um, against Hogak, both cards are good. Cage is a little bit better because it basically turns off everything other than hardcast Hogak, um, and I guess hardcast spells basically. And then uh, I just think it's a little bit better against all the graveyard decks, and we're not seeing as much life from the loam action. So uh, we're not seeing as much land, so that's why I think surgical is a little bit less necessary. Yeah, and for, from my point of view, um, another major reason that I feel that I wanted cage was that you get to play this game of, I don't know, protect the queen. You, you get the cage out there, and then you can protect it with your counter magic, except for, I guess, abrupt decay. And that way, buy a lot of time. Against Togak, I noticed that I would actually often still lose despite having Cage, because they just get to create so many tokens with... Uh, not the Bridge, Bridge, from Bridge from Below. And that was sometimes kind of hard to beat. And that's actually like that... When we talked about which decks we were putting you on in, in the IPL, that's the only concession I made to to my thought that you might play Hogak, and that was playing Echoing Truth. Because I felt like, okay, if, if I can keep my Cage around, eventually I can Echoing Truth the, the zombie tokens and and then maybe win that way. Basically, that used to be the Vapor Snack slot that everybody plays in, in that slot instead. And it also it's better against Chalice, so I figured like, hey, maybe I'm going to do that. But yeah, I... Mm-hmm. I feel like that the setup of MBC Rock Diver isn't that bad against the graveyard decks. I also like that we have spell pieces and well, also six hard counters and against their enablers. So yeah, I don't know. These decks, these graveyard decks, seem pretty popular, but I'm not fully behind them right now. But Eric, I think you're back. You, you've been gone for a short moment. Uh, how do you feel about these? Other graveyard decks. I, I, every episode I come to asking you about how you feel about Black Red Reanimated. We should make that an own segment right now. But how, how do you feel about the other graveyard decks? The other graveyard decks, I've played a fair amount of Hogak. I, I'm fairly unimpressed with that deck. Uh, I mean, it's a sweet deck. It's fine. It, it just doesn't feel as powerful as Reanimator. It doesn't feel that much better against blue decks. Um, and it doesn't feel that much stronger against Graveyard Hate. So I think you lose a lot 
by playing it compared to Reanimator, since it's just significantly less powerful. Uh, you trade some power level for some resilience, but I don't find that resilience to be to really be that that strong. Because I mean, it doesn't mulligan that much better. There's a lot of reasons I I, I didn't find it to be an amazing deck that I was like, I, I tried it because I, th I wanted to try all the decks that I thought were good against blue decks uh, going into round one of the LPL and decided what I just said that I, I didn't find it fair, impressive. Fair. And well, another deck I, I put down as, as like currently pretty dominant is A&T Storm. Uh, I've played against a lot in recent leagues and deck feels pretty good. I mean, honestly, I feel ANT is never really bad in Legacy. I think it's one of those decks where people... There's this meme about Storm is dead, right? At, at, which at this point, people say every time Storm wins something. Um, I think it's it's a deck that we should respect a ton right now. Because with Chedis being played even less, I, I, I don't like... What, what is this deck actually bad against Nimit game right now? For, especially, for example, against the King of the Format, Rock Diver, right? the first game is pretty good. We have so many cards that don't really do much to them, and post-part we get some help, but so do they. Uh, I feel if you're good at Storm, that's definitely the deck to play for you right now. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Cyrus did pretty well with it at Eternal Weekend. Yeah, I think Storm is good. I think Cage is also good against Storm um, from Delver, so that's another reason to play Grafturger's Cage over Surgical. Uh, I Obviously, the main issue with the deck always has been, you know, A, you need to have the reps, and B, uh, you need to dodge the matchup. So Storm seems only to be bad when Chalice is really popular. And like you said, like the blue decks have been built to beat the Chalice decks in the most recent iterations. Whereas for a period, like a lot of the Karn decks and Narset decks were really making Storm quite bad. But it's just simply not the case anymore because Karn and Narset match up really poorly against Renin-6, Wasteland, Tarmogoyf. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Nobody's playing Narset anymore. Or Karn, for that matter. Like, yeah, Moon Snoppy is like the only deck. I wonder how that's going to be. How good that's going to be. But yeah, we, we will see. I know that uh, a couple of, well, renowned Moon Snoppy pilots are going to head to MKM Prague, which is going to be the weekend before the GP in Bologna. So <laughs> maybe Marius Hausmann is going to add another top eight to his, to his resume. Uh, but moving on, there has been a major, well shake up in the competitive magic community as wizards of the coast earlier this week announced a new format and this time it's not a not not like a choke format or like a casual format this is like a legit format that will probably even be played at one or the other mythic championship i would think it's pioneer if you haven't heard about that and that's basically well modern 2.0 it's it's not rotating. All the new standard sets are going to be part of it in the future. And it starts at Return from Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, which I think was around 2013. So it's going to be the last six years of standard. And there's one interesting thing about it. <laughs> Actually, there's many interesting things about it. But the most interesting thing to me about it is that all the fetchlands, all the five allied fetchlands are banned from the format. And I'm going to read the explanation that Wizards of the Coast gave, because this is this is pretty unheard of, right? So they said, we'll talk more about the ban and restrictive philosophy on Thursday, but the gist of the banning decision is it, is it follows. Mana bases with Fetchlands and Shocklands are very strong and make playing three or four colors too easy. Decks can become more homogen oh fuck. <laughs> homogenous, <laughs> and the format becomes more defined by how many of the strongest cards players can squeeze into the deck. 
more constraints on mana bases add diversity to the format and make decks play differently from one another. I wholeheartedly agree with this. I love this so much. I, I love that they do this. It's to me. It's it, I love it when people get to play two colors and then maybe risk a three color splash. I, I that that's the kind of magic I usually enjoy the most. I I feel the kind of magic I like is at the worst when when everybody gets to play four colors and and the question is hey maybe we should play five colors for sorts of plowshares. No, let's play four colors. And I like that from the very start they're like okay we want to see more defined decks of course the risk that you're running is that maybe there's going to be some deck and like it's probably going to be that way in the beginning there's going to be some deck that's stronger than anything else so in that way the idea of having a very varied field is is going to be corrupted to a certain degree but in general i love that approach also and that that's a minor point that's probably not very relevant to most of our listeners i think from a logistics standpoint it uh, from a broadcasting standpoint, not having fetch lands is amazing. If you if you watch an SCG or anything, the first couple of minutes, the first couple of turns, they take forever because everybody's shuffling like once a turn. Like your first turn, you shuffle. Opponent's first turn, they shuffle. Your turn, you shuffle. They sh- shuffle. Turn three, you shuffle. It's <laughs> <laughs> there's so much dead air, and it shows. When, when you do commentary, like paper comment, commentators, they get so much more time, especially in the early stages of the game, to explain stuff. But it's also, they need to do that just to bridge the dead air. Whereas if you commentate on Legacy Premier or other rather Magic Online digital matches, there's no shuffling. So you actually have to move much more quickly. And that, that's an interesting difficulty. But guys, how, how do you feel about Pioneer? And let's start off with the, with the idea of banning fetch lands. How do you like that? Yeah, I think I'm super for it, and it's to the point where, like, because they ban the fetch lands, they're leaving some broken cards unbanned. For example, Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time and Deathrite Shaman. I think the ship has sailed for you know vintage, legacy, modern. Like, I think fetch lands are just part of the mana base. Um, I think you you could make a pretty strong argument for banning them, but I think there is a financial foul, fallout, and I I just there there's just too much stasis i think maybe if pioneer is like incredibly successful and people point to the absence of fetch lands i think it is you know potentially on the table but i don't think it's um likely for the other formats so i'm very excited that they fixed it for pioneer um i I just think the whole band and restricted list would look totally different with a fetch lands band like potentially death rate shaman um is a fine card without fetch lands i'm pretty sure it is and then like a card like renin six is like probably fair without uh fetch lands as well because maybe you can recur wasteland but then other than that like you can't recur fetch lands so you can't fix your mana so i mean i I would be very strongly for a fetch land ban in legacy it would also make blue decks a lot weaker because the cantrips get worse um but it would just change so many things it would like completely change the format uh so you know maybe one day we can cross that bridge but for now we're stuck with the way things are but i am excited to see how things develop in pioneer eric do you feel the same somewhat <laughs> i i don't agree with bob about banning fetch lands and legacy would be a good thing i think that they're like pretty much a very important part of what legacy is and without them it's just a completely different format but that's not what we're talking about um for Pioneer, I think it's kind of a fairly interesting idea to start with them banned for the reasons Bob said. I think it's uh, it, it makes cards like Dig Through Time and Death Right Shaman at least not necessary to ban before the the format 
goes live. So uh, that's cool for deck building. However, I worry that the format is going to be a devotion format. And I think devotion is the worst mechanic in the history of magic. I think Whoa. basically what it does. <laughs> Have you heard about our Lord and Savior bands with other legends? The devotion basically oh my makes... God. The for if it's a devotion format, then it's basically a bunch of monocolored precon decks where there's no room for deck building or, I mean, there's just. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say devotion is not gonna dominate pioneer. I sure. Uh, we'll that. see <laughs> if I it, I eat my words, but also just the fact that you think that devotion is a horrible mechanic. I mean, I don't feel very strongly about it one way or the other. But you're like, yeah, devotion is bad, but turn one grizzle brand. Let's go. Well, I mean, you're comparing. <laughs> Okay, I, mean, I hate that argument. It's like, oh, I can't think certain things about certain decks because I because I'll play other decks. Like it's ridiculous. But no. Well, I guess what I'm saying is like, turn one Grizzlebrand's like one of the most egregious design, in my opinion. Well, that wasn't a design. Mistakes. It's just, I mean, that's a legacy deck. The legacy is is 25 years of Magic cards, so it wasn't a design. Um, but it's again, it's a different topic. Like I, I'm talking about devotion was a design that that was what standard was for for however long, two years or whatever, a year. And basically it was just, I mean, the decks are made by Wizards of the Coast. If it's if you're playing Devotion, there's no room for deck building. You just play, all that matters is the casting cost of your, the casting, the mana colors in your, in your creatures. Like you're playing one fours that cost two blue because they add two blue to your board. Honestly, I didn't hate, like, th that was actually the only time I really played Standard in recent years, uh, was like 2014, when, when Devotion was a thing. They, they had mono-black Devotion and mono-blue Devotion, and blue-white, sometimes blue-white-black control. But actually, we're, we're getting way off topic here with that, so we, we will see whether Devotion <laughs> will stand the test of time. And what's what's Grey Merchant of something? That, that's the one that makes you lose a lot of life. Grey Merchant of Asphodel. People play that in modern still. I don't know. I just think there's so many reasons to play multicolor decks that it's kind of interesting to have a like a reason to play monocolor decks but i guess what i see what you're saying in that like a lot of the devotion decks you know the green devotion decks there's only one way to build them the black devotion decks there's only one way to build them um so i guess i can see your point from that perspective yeah. the deck building is a little less interesting so yeah. it's basically and i'm like worried that this format's going to be decks. yeah that's what i meant is that they're the cards are i mean they're there they're, they're, there are certain cards with three blue mana in them and and then you just play those <laughs> But are they good enough? Because from what I've seen, and and we saw um, Caleb Smith, White Faces, also Cyrus Chichi, Cici, uh, Cyrus Chichi, by the way, would be an awesome name if, if he wants to change that. <laughs> and also Bara, Mark Koenig, that they put out a lot of deck lists, and I guess a ton of other people. Uh, MTG Goldfish that, that, that said that they had like 6,000 Pioneer deck lists posted during a certain amount of time, where during this amount of time only like 1,000 modern deck lists were posted. So there's a lot of interest in Pioneer. And I'm seeing a lot of potentially broken stuff. Like I'm seeing Phoenix decks. I'm seeing some allegedly super, super strong hardened scale stacks, which I find super interesting. That there's also the potential for the Emery Lurker of the Lock combo deck. We, we talked about that card being good with Mox Amber, and here it is. There's, there's a Paradoxical Outcome Storm deck that could make that work. That also gets to play stuff like Treasure Cruise. So I'm really looking forward to, to one of those decks being broken. And like Aaron Forsythe of Wizards of the Coast said, he's very, very much expecting several cards to be banned before the first Mage I went in Pioneer. So I wonder if it's going to be similar to... I guess you guys might remember PT Philadelphia 2011 when Modern was new. And that was one of the most busted GP formats like 
probably since GP Flash, where everybody was playing all the crazy stuff. And in the end, um, Italian guy with Splinter Turn 1. But yeah, uh, I'm this format has me really excited just because of, of the potential that's there and also that it's going to be on Magic Online and not Magic Arena. So from my side, I really like that they are putting a lot of effort actually in making Magic Online better. Not only with having the format on, they also changed the, the user interface a little bit over the last um, well, half a year or something. So that, that's just on the side. I, I like that they put the work in there. Yeah, well, one thing is they're, they're not having this format on Arena because it goes back to Return to Ravnica. Uh, I am excited about it. Um, I'm not as excited about it as a lot of other people are. I, I do see a lot of people posting deck lists. Um, the reason I'm not excited about it is because I like playing with older cards, and I just don't have that much time to play anymore. Um, if I had like a ton of time, I think this would be super interesting. Like You get to be one of the first people to like try and break a brand new format and trust me, it will be broken. So yeah, I definitely agree with Aaron Forsythe that there's going to be some bans, but it'll be cool to like, you know, see who finds them first and and basically like breaks the decks. Like I think that's one of the my, my favorite things about playing Magic is is finding broken decks. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm excited too. I'm excited to see where it goes, but I ha- I, I do have my concerns about it because as you guys mentioned, they will be if any of these other decks are broken, they're going to do they're going to be heavy handed with with bans, and I. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm worried it's going to devolve into a devotion format. Yeah. Speaking of which, so this kind of goes into our next section, but they've released the, finally, they've released the Q1 GP schedule uh, through April 24th, so a little bit more than Q1. Uh, And there are actually four Pioneer GPs and a lot of Magic Online uh, mocks and uh, PTQ events as well. So they're, they're shining a spotlight on this format and uh, they're basically putting as many pioneer events as modern events in the uh, you know next six months or so. So it's definitely going to get broken in these six months, and um, I'm kind of excited to see. But how do you guys like see this format fitting in more generally with the competitive like metagame? Like you know, vintage has you know become what vintage is very niche. Legacy, it, I think, has been trending down, um, especially with. I don't know. I guess people less excited about the format in I want to say the past, you know, two two years than in the years prior. Um, modern has been absurdly popular. Um, maybe Pioneer kind of supplants some of that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Where do you guys kind of see these other formats going, and where Pioneer fits fits in? I'm wondering what the the role of Modern is eventually gonna be because I think when it was introduced. It's basically the same reason that they gave when they introduced Pioneer in their article, that they want to have a format that people can play once they evolve as a player out of like only playing standard and also wanting to play their, their rotated cards in other formats. And that was like a pool to, to catch them because they couldn't play Legacy because Legacy was too expensive for them and hashtag reserved list and everything. But now with Pioneer... <sighs> Like, obviously, modern is not going to go away, like, immediately. Like, there's just, like, so many people who consider themselves modern players, have all the modern staples, and enjoy the format a lot. In a way, like, modern, not gameplay-wise, but, like, community-wise, somewhat reminds me of Legacy when I got into it in, like, 2005. There was, like, lots of people who have everything, who can play everything, and, and they just, like, enjoy playing the format. But in the long run, like, if you come into Magic from outside and you want to play a non-rotating format, what would make you play Modern over Pioneer or Legacy? And I'm not so sure about that. Like, I think Modern will definitely see a lot of attention this year, probably next year, and maybe even, eh, maybe even not so much in 2000, uh, uh, 2000, in uh, um, 2021. 
So I definitely see Pioneer cannibalizing it. That basically depends on Pioneer being a good format. We've seen other formats like Frontier, which were like people like quickly solve the format and they're like, this format's not good. So they stopped playing it. Um, obviously, Frontier didn't have much wizard support, and Pioneer has a lot of support. So I think with a banned restricted list, you can kind of you know make sure the format doesn't get to a horrible place. But that being said, like how heavy-handed are they going to need to be? Like a lot of people do complain that Modern sees too many bans, but like they've been forced because the format just gets really bad like really quickly. Um, and and this problem has even been happening to Legacy in the past year is they keep printing these overpowered cards, which make the format less fun. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think Pioneer is guaranteed to succeed uh, beyond Modern in by any means. Um, it's definitely possible, but I'm not sure that it's guaranteed. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's definitely going to depend a lot on how popular the gameplay of Pioneer is going to be. Because if it really only feels like Standard plus a little bit, then it's not going to be that great. And if it's going to be as broken as modern, then it's also going to turn off a lot of people after a while. So I'm wondering, like, just to shortly touch on modern, I think one of the things that modern has always missed is like a blue tempo deck that somewhat polices the format, which basically would have maybe helped with not banning certain cards that otherwise ended up needed to be banned. And I wonder if Pioneer is going to have something like that, because I really don't see anything like blue tempo-wise on the horizon. Like, What's the best counter spell of, of Pioneer going to be? I'm really not sure. Yeah, I think it like Stubborn it's a format denial. that probably also needs force of force of negation. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Force of negation. Oh no, force of negation was in one of the eternal sets, right? It's not. It shouldn't be legal. I'm not sure. It's in Modern Horizon, so it's not going to be in Pioneer. But it seems like a card they should consider printing. Definitely, Eric. Um, how, how do you see fitting it in? Will it replace Vintage? Will Pioneer replace Vintage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've heard people saying that, that that Pioneer is the end of Legacy, and I tend to think that they weren't that Legacy was not in mind at all when they made Pioneer. Uh, and I guess we'll find out soon when they announce the rest of the GP schedules. Uh, I, I hope that they're still planning to to schedule two Legacy GPs, but if they don't, then I guess I'm wrong. Um, but I tend to think that Pioneer might be more of a of a plan to shift towards a arena modern and that this will just be easier for them to code for arena. So uh, I think that it will shift modern to being closer to a legacy type format, which will be um, a dedicated fan base, but not as many competitive tournaments, you know, throughout the year years. But like, do you think they just do this? You know, I think modern was out like eight or nine years ago. You think they just do this every like 10 years or so. They just make a new pioneer and then like, I, I don't know how many formats can they realistically support? I guess it could just be like, um, you know, modern and legacy can be some more fringe formats where they have like a couple GPs a year and then their latest, you know, pioneer esque set will be their focused, like larger set format i could see that that's what i think they're probably going to do and that way that they can they can have it on arena as well um but yeah they they could every 10 years sure they they killed other formats when when modern came out and so uh, as the formats get older and older it does become harder and harder for them to keep it from being a broken format where they have to ban stuff every two months or whatever so I was just saying, just making a completely new format seems like one of the best ways to surpass that problem. 
Yeah. I, was, I was gonna say to be fair that the format they killed when they made modern um, was basically dead in the water for like several years extended and the the whole concept right of of having modern 2.0 modern 3.0 and everything that that already existed right ever, ever since like the, the late 90s when when extended rotated at an absurd absurdly slow pace like I don't know every six years or something that was the, the the extended I knew, and that's actually the extended that got me into Magic. I, I played extended before I played Legacy, and then I only actually got into Legacy when I realized I couldn't play Enchantress anymore, uh, or only like a crappy version of Enchantress because um, a Gothian Enchantress wasn't legal. Uh, that that has been mm-hmm. a, um, a concept that has worked pretty... Actually, to, to be honest, extended was always popular until it rotated. Like the first time it rotated, they explicitly kept the dual lands around, even though they technically would have rotated out and... That that was a way like to appease the fan base, I guess. And then the second time it, it had the big rotation where like Ursa Saga and all that stuff went away. That's pr- pretty close to the format dying. And then they they made these changes where it rotated like every two years, and people called it like standard 2.0 instead of like an actual decent eternal format. It wasn't really eternal anyway. But yeah, but what I'm getting at is like this is not something really new. This is basically something that has been going on in, in Magic for pretty much almost all of its competitive history that every five to ten years we get a new constructed format it's just gonna be interesting because modern was the first one that really stuck around for a long time that didn't go all the way back and now it's yeah we we talked about how it might eventually lack identity between pioneer and and legacy i i hope that we will have some legacy gps this year there's prague there's bilbao from the european side there's prague there's bilbao and strasbourg and prague and strasbourg has have seen legacy gps before and i think they were quite successful uh i hope that we're gonna have something there and i guess you guys in us like this or last year i think you had two gps maybe you got one more that would be pretty cool so yeah i i would be surprised if we didn't get a legacy gp this year it's i think it's not guaranteed but i think we definitely will get like one or two yeah i sure hope so yeah i agree I agree. Like the they've done. I mean, they've been generous. I think in the U.S. they've done two a year for the past three or four years. Um, so you know, hopeful that that keeps up. I mean, I think I would like ideally. Obviously, more is always better. But I think I'd be okay with two U.S., one Europe, one Japan, um, kind of every year here on here on out. But um, you know, maybe I'm just you know. Not to mention that those GPs have all been pretty darn successful too. They don't do that many of them, but. I mean, because if they did too many, they wouldn't be successful. But people love Legacy. People will travel for it. And as long as they do just a few a year, like those are going to be successful GPs. So I don't see them killing them because they put out Pioneer. I see them continuing to do it until uh, until Legacy does eventually uh, shift to the point where it's like vintage and people just cannot afford the lands anymore. Unfortunately, that that's sure to happen someday. Yeah, well, I think... I don't know. I think it is interesting how they they keep scheduling these standard GPs and they get really, really bad turnout. Like, they're like in the hundreds of people, even the limited ones, are not seeing a very high turnout. So, like, to me, if I'm Channel Fireball, I'm trying to schedule, you know, as many modern GPs as they'll let me and then probably more legacy GPs than standard as well. So, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of curious where their calculus lies. Yeah, team GPs have also been, like, pretty popular, right? And it's also a way to integrate like legacy with other formats if you don't want to have like a dedicated mm-hmm. legacy GP. I wonder if they're going to change some of the formats well, that have been announced yet. Probably not because now if you... Team SCGs have been the most successful SCGs 
uh, followed by Modern. Like both of them regularly get like 800 plus players, whereas the Legacy one and Standard ones get like 500 or lower. So uh, I-, I think it definitely makes sense to you know maybe put some team events on there. Yeah, something about team events that I find super interesting is that people and and well I can't really call it my LGS because I don't really go there very much, but basically what's supposed to be my LGS. There's people who haven't been to GPS in years. The only GPS they go to are team GPS. And I feel like to a certain degree that's because you feel safer, especially if you don't have a lot of tournament experience. It's It just feels nice if you have like at least one guy who's played a lot of tournaments, so you feel confident in going to a tournament that like things are going to be okay. And I think that's a really, really cool way of introducing people to GP magic that are considering it, but are too scared to go on their own and play on their own. So that's why I'm a big fan of, of team GPs and stuff. Uh, yeah. So, guys, who's up? Like, Legacy Modern Pioneer? Who's going to play Pioneer? You should have an everyday Eternal team. I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, I'm down to play Modern. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I will play Pioneer eventually, but I currently have no plans to. Uh, basically, that's kind of how I feel about Modern as well. As if I find a really cool deck I'm really into, then I'll play it. But otherwise, I'm kind of fine you know, focusing on legacy. Awesome. I think we're gonna wrap it up here. I wanna give shout outs to our new Patreon, Sebastian Hofmeister, who has supported us on Patreon on patreon.com slash everydayjournal, where you can can become a member, a Patreon of the show, and also get speed perks. Like earlier this week, I sent out a lot of letters with our stickers, and I also sent out a t-shirt to our supporters. Uh, Bob, you are also going to have um, a lot of stickers that you can give out, well, not in the Eternal Weekend, but sometime in the future. And Eric, I guess I'm going to see you at Bologna, so I'm also going to give you a lot of stickers. If you guys are going to be at Bologna and you see Eric or me, just hit us up, say hello. Um, we are definitely going to have some everyday eternal stickers for you. We will also sign your cards if you, if you want that. Oh my God. I, I have signed Gaia's Cradles in the past and I felt really bad about it, but people really <laughs> wanted me to like directly on the card, not even on, on the sleeve. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's going to be great. And I also want to give shout outs to the people who have provided regular support to us for a long while now. That's Matt and James on our Eternal Witness tier uh, level, as well as Bachu, Scott, Kurosh, and Jeremy, who've been supporting us on our top level, the Grizzlebrand tier. And all of you, not only the people in those tiers, but in all of those tiers combined, you really make a big change and you allow us to, to host and run the show, produce the show. So I want to say thank you for that. And definitely when you see us, say hello. And with that, I think I'm going to end the show tonight. Get ready for China. Beijing all off. Watch me O2 drop. Actually, we can't do that. That, that That's a definitely, that's going to be an interesting tournament format. But you're going to hear a lot about that once I'm back. And with that, thanks a lot. Tune in next time. And also make sure to watch the Legacy Premier League first stage of the playoffs on October 30th. See you there. Bye-bye. See, thank you. Bye. Toodles. Toodles.